Hey there, Penguins fans. I'm Scott Stuccio. And I'm Mike O'Brien. You may know our voices from our time as play-by-play broadcasters with your Wilkes-Barre Scranton Penguins. And to celebrate the team's 25th season, we're teaming up for a trip down memory lane with some of the greats in Penguins history. So sit back, relax, and tap into that nostalgic side of your mind. Because this is the Pens from the Past podcast. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Pens from the Past podcast. I'm Mike O'Brien. <laughs> Seven years is my last time on a podcast. Uh, here with Joey Mormina, defenseman for the Wilkes-Barre Scranton Penguins. Four seasons and his 11-year illustrious career through the NHL, the American Hockey League. I gotta say right off the bat, your background is much more impressive than mine. I know this is an audio podcast, but for those who can't see, it's it's a lot of books, some diplomas, a lot of framed pictures. Looks looks good. Is that your standard? <laughs> is this your standard podcasting area? Well, I, I don't do uh, in all uh, in all honesty, I don't do many podcasts now in my uh, in my current profession. But uh, you know, there's a lot of books there that I read once upon a time, and uh, Actually, over this shoulder, that is uh, some memorabilia from uh, my NHL game. And I have uh, my home office kind of just some uh, bunch of kind of cool things over the years that I've that I've kind of hung up. So it's uh, we're, we're, we're in a new area here. So this is your is this your Zoom area as opposed to podcast area area? This is where exactly, you get this is where exactly. work from home. It's all real. It's all real. <laughs> Very nice, man. Well, I appreciate you joining us uh, before we get into the past. Let's talk a little bit about the present here. Um, what have you been up to? I know we caught up a little bit last summer during the uh, Wilkes-Barre Scranton Penguins Golf Tournament and Golf Invitational. Uh, what have you been up to since uh, we last saw you in uh, Mohegan Sun Arena? Yeah, so uh, so presently uh, live in West Hartford, Connecticut, um, which is a great great spot to raise a family. Uh, what brought us here was a couple of years ago when I took the Hartford Wolfpack job. Um, I ended up settling here and. Uh, and yeah, we we loved it. And so when uh, when that job kind of ended, my contract wasn't renewed. Um, you know, kind of decided to get out of hockey and kind of just put down some roots. Um, so you know, we're we're here. I'm now uh, you know national account manager for a commercial printing company. Um, you know, with with clients kind of around the country. And uh, you know, I have a I have a freshman in high school. My daughter's now a freshman in high school, and my son his uh, first year of middle school. And uh, my wife works for the uh, town of West Hartford and in, uh, in pupil services. So we're uh, we're just a regular family here with uh, with regular jobs and a regular life. But it's uh, but it's it's busy. My son plays travel hockey, and I'm the uh, I'm the coach of the team. So that uh, that keeps me super busy and get, keeps me uh, you know involved in the game, which is which is awesome. Now, does your son have that Joey Mormina height and wingspan as well, or? <laughs> no. No, no, my, uh, it's funny. My daughter has my height. She's, uh, she's five, eight. Um, she's really small for a 14 year old. Uh, my son still hasn't hit that, that growth spurt. I think he's hoping every day that he shoots up, but, uh, right now he's, uh, he's one of the, the smaller kids on his team, but, um, but he's a defenseman. So he's a little bit like his dad in that sense is that he's a D. And I mean, what are strengths? I mean, what, how is he on the ice? What are we, what are we trying to do? You know, what's are his natural gifts? What is he still trying to work on here as he, you know, starts working towards a clearly NHL career someday? Yeah. 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 Well, I think, uh, I think we're pushing for maybe becoming a doctor or a lawyer, but uh, <laughs> you know, he's uh, you know, he's a really, really smart player. He really, really sees the game really well. Um, you know, obviously being around it at a super young age and, 
you know, it's it's part of our family. It's part of my extended family. We, we, we're all involved in the game. So he's really smart out there. Um, you know, he likes to jump in the offense. He likes to be really offensive. So he's a, he's a little bit different than me there. You know, he's uh, he's still young. You know, he's got to work on all those all those things that I tell him and his teammates all the time. I tell you, if you watch an NHL game now, everybody can skate. You know, the, the game is so different in 2023 as it was, you know, when I played or even growing up. Um, if you can't skate and you can't move the puck, uh, you have no chance to, well, obviously play in the NHL, but even play college or juniors. You know, so if, if he's watching this or he's listening, go work on your skating. <laughs> it's probably obvious, but do you go by Coach Mo? Uh, no, I don't. I'm, uh, I'm just uh, I'm just coach. Just coach? Coach Joe or coach, yeah. Oh, Coach Mo, that's a layoff. I, uh, I, I got to let the kids know about that one. But <laughs> well, let's get into you a little bit here because, as I mentioned, you know, 11-year uh, career in the pros, uh, starting off in Manchester after graduating from uh, Colgate. You spent four seasons total with the Wilkes-Barre Scranton Penguins. Just, just a presence on the ice, off the ice in the community as well. Uh, we're going to be talking about some of the uh, you know, better moments and more memorable moments uh, during your Wilkes-Barre Scranton Penguins tenure. But is there anything that kind of stands out from your time in Northeastern Pennsylvania playing for the Wilkes-Barre Scranton? Yeah, it was, uh, it was, it was great. You know, I remember uh, playing for Manchester and I think it was Manchester, then Albany. Um, anytime we went to play Wilkes-Barre, it was like, you know, it was like a glimpse into what it could be like playing in the NHL. You know, the, the rink was packed, you know, brand new facility, a great team. It was always an extra level of intensity when you came to Wilkes-Barre. So, um, you know, so to, to, to be able to sign there at one point and then play there for four years uh, was an incredible experience just because, you know, the support on the ice, you know, from the management, from the community, it just felt like a different uh, environment than most AHL cities back then. You know, and, and then for, for my family, you know, we, uh, you know, my kids were really young in Wilkes-Barre. We, we have fond memories of making friends outside of the locker room, you know, people in the community, you know, my kids did, you know, daycares there and uh, learned, uh, did gymnastics and swimming lessons. So uh, it was it was really cool, you know, to, to go back uh, a couple of years ago with the family and kind of see some of those, uh, some of those spots that we used to, to visit all the time. Oh, you went back a couple of years ago? Yeah, we, uh, my son was actually playing in a tournament in Pittsburgh and okay. we were driving out there and Wilkes-Barre was sort of a halfway point. Yep. And uh, we stopped in. I texted Co like literally like an hour outside. I was like, hey, we're, we're <laughs> on the way, like kind of random, but are you in the office? And he's like, yeah, stop in. So we did. We went to Cole Street and he gave us a tour of Cole Street. And then he was like, hey, have you seen the new renovation at Mohegan Sun? I was like, no. He's like, let's head over there. And so we went over there. The kids got a tour of the locker room, took some cool pictures. You know, that was that was really, really cool because, you know, we had pictures of them when they were like, you know, one, two years old. But to see them, you know, as young kids in the locker room and, you know, in the rink was uh, it was awesome. Did, yeah, they, they, did they have any recollection of like this where daddy used to play and like we used to we run around the rink at all? Uh, my daughter does. You know, she was a big Tux fan back in the day, you know, I mean, who is it? just to see Tux. But uh, she has more of a memory of it than my son. My son was just, you know. He was like one years old, you yeah, know, I remember. one and a half, two. So he was, you know, he was just drooling all over himself. <laughs> so over the course of an 11-year career, and this always kind of fascinates me, is, I mean, when you play that long, do, do the seasons just 
blend together or do you are you able to kind of remember each individual year for what it was kind of the stories of the season who you're playing with um or is it when you play that long is just kind of like a mismatch of of memories and, and guys and coaches and different places yeah you know it definitely gets mishmashed you know you you don't you don't remember you know i, I don't remember any you know very little you know scores and individual sort of highs and lows you remember sort of moments and you remember teammates and you kind of sometimes forget what year it was um you know people ask me now like oh when did you stop playing i'm like geez i don't even know like six years ago seven years ago i, I couldn't even tell you you know and you but you look back on the totality of it and you're like man that was a, such a fun time to to play hockey and to to raise a family and just uh, the memories of of teammates and you know, it's fun to sometimes look back on old score sheets and be like, oh, my God, I can't believe that guy was a teammate. Like, I wonder what he's up to now, you know. It was only with him for a month. and But luckily with social media and, you know, still being able to connect with everyone on, on Facebook and Instagram, you, you kind of see for a lot of these guys where they're at with their families and professionally. And, you know, you remember certain highlights, obviously. Uh, every year there's probably one or two things that stand out. Some of the some of the finer details of year to year kind of get lost. That's for sure. Yeah, they get they get lost to the sands of time. That's for sure. Um, just out of curiosity, it's, you know, your four year tenure in Willowbury Scranton was was broken up. You were in Willowbury Scranton for a year. You went over to the other side, Phantoms, and before coming back, before coming back for three years, uh, and then last year you were captain. You know those those decisions to free agency or you know, during the summer and the off season have got to be so tough. You know what made you like. All right, it's time to step away from Wilkesbury Scranton for for a little bit, and then I guess what kind of made you come back as well? Yeah, so you know when I signed that first year, uh, Dan Bilesma called me that summer, um, and you know couldn't have been more thrilled and excited for the opportunity. Uh, at that point, I was still you know I was still considered a prospect, you know an NHL prospect with <laughs> with hopes of of you know making you know an NHL team or being called up. Um, so that first year in Wilkes-Barre, I mean, we had an unbelievable team. Uh, we were, we were so good. Uh, you know, myself and Ben Lovejoy, we were deep partners all year, um, had one of my best statistical years. I ended up like a plus 37 or plus 30, uh, high, high, plus 37. You nailed it. Nice work. Yeah. You know, me, me, Ben and I were, were number one and two in the league as, as plus minus. We were shut down partners, uh, was given a tremendous role on the team. Um, but never got called up that year. And I was kind of disappointed by it, but literally Pittsburgh had no injuries. It was one of those freak years where it was Ben got called up for like a week, I think. Um, you know, so going into the playoffs, you know, it didn't have a – I can't remember what, how we did in the playoffs, but we didn't we didn't go very far. We were a great team, but just didn't, didn't make a run. And I was like, oh, okay, perfect. I'm going to resign here. It's going to be great. You know, I finally found a home. Like, you know, Pittsburgh thinks I'm this next – you know, if it's not me, it's Ben, or if it's not Ben, it's me. And I remember not getting a contract offer that summer and just being completely devastated. Um, you know, didn't really get a great reason why. Um, and that was sort of a, a welcome to the business side of it. You know, they just sure. they had some younger guys coming in and, you know, they were basically like, hey, we don't want to hold you back. You know, if you got something else, go for it. And, uh, you know, that's where, you know, Philly stepped up, the team that drafted me and, you know, went there for a year. But, um, you know, but then when I came back, you know, that was – that was different too because I was over in Europe. You know, I, after after Philly, my time in Philly, you know, no one was really calling. My agent, 
became a scout. So I was kind of in no man's land, went to Europe, signed with the team in Europe, uh, which fell apart. And then uh, Wilkes-Barre came back into the picture like late fall after camp had started and then kind of went from there. Your last year in Wilkes-Barre, Scranton, you, you wore the C. How did your, I mean, clearly your role changes, but how do you approach uh, things in the locker room? How do you approach things on the ice when you're wearing that C as opposed to an A? Does your your role changes, but how, how much did it affect you? It was a you know, night and day how you had to um, adjust to the role or is just kind of little tweaks here and there? Yeah, I was an alternate captain before. Now I'm a full captain, but it's kind of the same thing. Yeah, you know, I, that year was was unique. There was, uh, I think it was a lockout year, I believe. There was some kind of uh, NHL thing going on. If I sure. remember, you right? Yeah, if I remember. It seems like I'm like, well, I know. Which lockout? Every other year, which lockout, right? Yeah. <laughs> but uh, but I was, you know, I felt like I was a captain from day one. I'm going to be honest with you. Um, you know, I, I felt like I was wearing that C, you know, regardless of what was on my jersey. I, I felt like I was a leader of that team. And, you know, having it or not didn't change my approach with my teammates or the coaching staff. And then uh, I believe it was around Christmas or right after the holidays where it was officially named the captain. And, yeah, you know, there's definitely added level of of pressure and responsibility because you're now the the go-between between between the locker room and and the coaching staff. And, you know, if there's ever an issue or something that needed to be brought up or discussed, um, you know, as a captain, you're sort of one to have to have those tough conversations. Um, But at that point in my career, I felt more than comfortable communicating. Um, And, you know, yeah, it was an incredible honor to say I was a captain for Wilkes-Barre. And, you know, it was kind of just a little bit of validation for, for all the things I felt like I was doing well inside the room and, you know, in the community. Well, let's get into um, some of the more memorable moments and stretches for Wilkes-Barre Scranton. Oh, yeah. if, you, if, you, if you can believe it, it's more than 10 years since that rally from the three, nothing deficits in 2013 against the province Bruins. Um, I mean, we're going to get into detail, but I have to imagine that is one of, if not one of the best memories uh, for you with Wilkes-Barre Scranton. Yeah, that was that was cool. That was uh, you know once in a lifetime sort of stretch. Um, you know something I still look back on now. You know when when I see teams go down 3 I'm like it's not impossible. Like I was part of you know a team that 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 had done it and and come back from it. It's it's kind of crazy and cool to to have that experience. And what's actually really funny um, is that. Jamie Tardiff, who uh, was on that team, one of their better players, uh, he now coaches here in Hartford, and our sons are teammates on uh, on the team. <laughs> so we uh, we still laugh and, and talk about it. So it's uh, I mean, it's more it, yeah, I mean, listen, it's it's the ultimate trump card, right? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> right. never, never, never down. And anytime you're losing an argument, you're just like, yeah, but we came back from three nothing last year, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> So that season was an interesting one because um, you know, a lot of talent on that team. You have the young Brian Gibbons, Paul Thompson, you know, Trevor Smith, yourself, uh, Riley Holzoffel. But it was it was a, a team that was kind of middling around 500 for really the first half of the season. And then after the new year, it's, things just seemed to take off. And I know Chad Kaloric um, coming to the organization later that month was, was a big part of the uh, nice stretch and nice run. Uh, through the second half of the season. But do you remember, or can you pinpoint anything back then Was when things just started to go in the right direction? Like, like I said, it was it was kind of up and down for the first couple months, and then all of a sudden it was just it was off like a shot. 
Yeah, you know, it's funny you 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 talked about you know what it what it was like to be a captain and the role and responsibilities. You know, I remember, you know, like it was yesterday, at some point in the second half of the year, I think it might have been January, or February. You know, you know, Heinze brought me and some of the assistants and older guys in the locker in the in the office and was like, hey, we're we should be so much better than where we're at right now. You know, like you said, we were kind of up and down, lots of talent, lots of young players, and for whatever reason, it wasn't clicking. And he's like. He's like, Joe, I think what needs to happen is I think I think you need to have a closed door, kind of really brutally honest conversation with with your teammates. You know, I think it needs to come from you. I think you need to be, you know, upfront and honest with what you see, you know. And I was like, oh, man, I don't know if I want to do this, you know, like, you know, like really kind of like not lay into guys, but just be like, hey, like, you know, you, you know, whoever it was like you're, you're wasting talent. You know what I mean? Like um, and so we had one of those kind of meetings and it was tough it was real i remember didn't sleep much the night before and and i think you know after that meeting you know it kind of put everyone sort of on their toes and i said hey listen there's no more pressure on anyone else than me like i'm the one calling you guys out like i'm also putting the bullseye on my own uh on my own chest because now that i've called you out like i better make sure to be on my best now the rest of the year um and really from there i think we became closer as a team and um, you know, it, it kind of helped in that series where we were down because we knew we where we stood collectively and individually and, and what we were capable of. Was that the toughest conversation you've ever had to have as a player? Yeah, be a yeah. captain. It was. I remember the night before, uh, myself, uh, Dylan Reese, Brad Thiessen, uh, maybe one or two other guys, the older guys, uh, Chad Cleric. We met at my house. Uh, had a couple beers and I was like, Hey man, I got to do this tomorrow. I need your help. Um, you know, what, what's your insight, your feedback. And we kind of talked it through and they were all like, they're like, man, I, I don't envy the position you're in. And I was <laughs> like, you know, I'll be fine. I just, you know, I, I just want to make sure you guys have my back or whatever. And they said, yeah, hundred percent. And, uh, I remember I had to write some stuff down, you know, bring a little cheat card because I didn't want to forget anything or anybody that, that needed to be, uh, sort of called out. And went through it, and I remember in practice was like, "Oh man, this is gonna be <laughs> people. People are gonna be coming after me today." Um, but like I said, it was. I'm glad I, I did it, and you know, it kind of taught me a little bit about communicating and you know, getting the best out of people. And you know, I kind of use some of those skills now with with my own team and um, you know, in my personal life. I was gonna say, I mean, I can't imagine, and something like that is well received. But it sounds like it was a tone setter, and the team comes out stronger, more together for a meeting like that. Yeah, I think sometimes when you hear it from your your coach, it can sometimes go in one ear out the other, right? Like, oh, he's picking on me, and you know, coach this. You know, we we've all had those moments, right, where it's like, oh, what is, what does the coach know? You know, well, he knows a lot. Um, but I came at it from a different angle, been like, you know, like, you know, like I love hanging out with you guys. I love you know drinking beers and going to these Halloween parties and you know our time playing cards. Like all that stuff is great, but I'm telling you, as like an older guy who's been through this league, like you young guys, if you don't play better and play harder and care more like this this dream of playing pro hockey in the nhl like it's not it's not going to happen like you have to sort of take ownership in your career like you're you're too good to be wasting this talent and to to sort of be playing uh passive not engaged like you have a great opportunity with a great organization like don't waste it i'm telling you don't waste it you know it was kind of like that tone but you know i went around the room picking guys apart you know i mean like hey you know so and so, like who do you like? Who do you think you are? Like, what you're wasting talent. You should you should have thirty goals. You have five. You know. Yeah. So tough love, man. Tough love. <laughs> yeah.
All right, let's get into it. And to provide some perspective, I mean, at one point, you're 15, 17, 2 and 1 on the season. You go on to win 27 of your final 41 games heading into the playoffs. Um, I don't want to gloss over the Binghamton series because it's important. It was kind of a weird series because it was best of five. You won three games all by a, a score of three to two. And you move on to play with the Providence Bruins, who had kind of wire to wire been the best team in the American Hockey League uh, that season. Guys, you know, Ryan Spooner, Jamie Tardif, you know, Chris Bork. Uh, comes in the mix as well. I mean, they were they were pretty well stacked. Do you remember kind of the thoughts heading into that series against the Bruins? And, you know, it felt like kind of a, a, a giant to be slayed almost. Yeah, I mean, you know, I think we, we were pretty confident going into it. Don't forget they had Tory Krug. I think he yeah. came in from college and was like, man, this guy is a stud. Like, you got to watch out for him. But, you know, Chris Bork was just an unbelievable player. You know, he just prolific scorer. Um, you know, they were, they were a good team, but, you know, I think we had all the confidence in the world going into it, you know, weren't necessarily intimidated. It just, uh, you know, the series didn't get off to the greatest of start. <laughs> well, let's take it game by game a little bit because game one is, I mean, great start. Caloric scores to make a one to nothing, but that became a trend in the series and that if you scored first, you weren't necessarily coming away with the win. In fact, it was more the, the rule than the exception, um, or wait, restrict that. The exception than the rule um and it just turns into an eight five barn burner i mean you know province had the offense wilkesbury scranton it, it kind of hung its hat on i think uh you know definitely could score goals but defensive goaltending with jeff sadkoff and brad Tyson back there as well uh was that first game that game one kind of a, a bit of an eye-opener like oh okay we, we're in one here yeah i think you know i think the message there after the game one was like hey you know we started well um you know, we, we, we know how we have to play to beat this team. You know, obviously, you know, being a strong defensive team was always something that, uh, you know, that Heinze, you know, addressed and, and made sure that we were all aware of. And that's how we knew we could have success. And, um, you know, that first game, for whatever reason, you know, I can't remember the goals exactly, but, you know, we ended up getting down pretty big. And it was just like, oh, like, come on, boys, like we're, we're not playing the right way. Um, and then when the game ends and you've give, you've scored five goals and lost, you know that's not uh, that's not a good recipe for success. You know, giving up eight was was ugly, um, and we knew we needed to play better. You know, afterwards, but you know, giving up eight is uh, is 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 not great. It's it's not great, and the goals would be a, l- a little bit more of a premium moving forward. And game two, I mean, this is. This is probably a turning point of the series because, again, Wilkes-Barre Scranton scores first. Warren Peters shorthanded, and all of a sudden, Providence rips off you know four four goals, but two by your guy Jamie Tardif, and all of a sudden you're four one after the first period. Kind of what happened? Things were going great until they weren't. What they weren't, um, and then the goaltender switch happens. Uh, Brad Tyson, who'd been in the backup role for the first four periods, he comes in. He comes in and replaces Jeff Zadkoff. It's still a win for the Providence Bruins, but it's all said and done 4-2 to take a 2-0 lead. But what are the thoughts through the rest of that game, even after the game? Because Brad Tyson hadn't really become, you know, the Brad Tyson of that series just yet. Not no one knew what was in store, but what were the feelings at that point at the goal after the goaltender switch? Yeah, no, I, I think uh, Brad, if anybody, any, anybody that knows Brad, you know, he's he's one of the best, you know, people that's ever played the game. You know, he was an unbelievable uh, person, unbelievable teammate, 
a great goalie. So we knew we had two goalies, uh, two very capable goalies. And, you know, um, Z, you know, Zach, Jeff had, had started the, the series and we had confidence in him. And then, you know, sometimes coaches just kind of have to shake things up. And I think, you know, the reality is when Brad came into that game, um, you know, we played better as a team. It was maybe a wake-up call and, um, you know, it, it kind of changed a little bit of maybe the mindset. But um, in terms of Brad being capable, you know, he was, you know, he, he was an awesome goalie. I had played with him for a number of years. So for me personally, I was, I was thrilled to see him come in and play well and um, knew that he could, you know, win us a series or win us a game. It wasn't a huge drop for, for us. Well, you got you bring it back home now. Yeah, and Brad Tyson's the starter. So you're down two nothing. You drop both games of Providence, but now a chance to get back to Wilkes-Barre, Scranton, Mohegan Sun Arena, Casey Plaza. You know what's going to be rocking, and you go through that one one heading overtime, and Carter Camper scores just 31 seconds in, and now you're down. You, you fall two to one. You're down three nothing in the series, but um, a game in which the team didn't play poorly. Played pretty well, fired 33 shots on net. Svedberg was actually, you know, perhaps a better goalie in that game. But, you know, how do you feel at that point that you're doing so many things right? You're getting good goaltending. You just couldn't get the win, and they win in overtime. Now you're down 3 nothing. I mean, that's – I, I got to imagine that's – has to be deflating. But where are you at in the locker room after that game, mindset-wise? Yeah, that, that one was a tough one. That was the one that, you know, you know you had to get being down to nothing. And so when you when you lose that game at home, and now you know you're walking to the locker room and now you know it's three nothing. Um, you know, you, you really you're really doubting yourself. You're doubting your ability to come back because it seems so hard to get to that point. And I remember uh, sitting in the locker room and no one's really saying anything. I'm not really saying there's nothing really you can say. Um, and I remember uh, Heinze coming into the locker room, uh, not upset, but really calm and kind of laying out a roadmap of how we were going to win the series. It's like almost as if he had it all thought out before the game um, that, you know, if we lose, this is what I'm going to say. Um, and I remember him saying basically, if he goes, if we win game four, we're winning game five because all they want to do is get home and win game six. Once we do that, once we win the next game, game five is already ours, so you already know you're back in the series. It's 3-2. Uh, he goes, the next game after that, if you win game six, the series is yours because you know you're going to win game seven. So he kind of laid it out in the sense of like, hey, you're not really 3 nothing down. All you got to do is win two games, and you know you're going to win those other two right behind it. So, like, he did an unbelievable job after the game of being really calm and, and kind of switching the mindset from, hey, we have no chance to – Hey, all you got to do is win two games and the series is over. We're like, oh, maybe that's not so bad, actually. You know? <laughs> I mean, you know, we talked about the goaltending switch already, but does anything change tactically for you between games three and games four? I mean, Providence had shown, a, had shown that they could beat you in a, in a couple different ways. I mean, the offense was there. They had a great power play as well. Um, Svedberg had been very solid in net uh, up until that point. So, I'm trying to remember X's and O's from 10 years ago, but any any change in, in tactics or a different approach to how a di- perhaps a different approach to how you um, were going to attack the Bruins moving forward? No, not really. I think we just, uh, you know, a little bit of freedom in your head. You're just like, hey, you know what? We really have nothing to lose. Um, you know, c- you know, combine that with also the nervousness of being like, all right, 
we know we have nothing to lose. We're playing pretty free, but you still kind of have to win a game. You kind of have to get some bounces and get some luck um, to get back in this series. So, you know, as far as did we change anything tactically, you know, I don't think so. Um, but I remember, you know, feeling that sense of like, all right, like let's just try and, you know, score the first goal the next day and, and kind of build some positive momentum. Uh, well, you didn't, unfortunately. Carter Camper scored the first goal at game four uh, for a one nothing lead after the first. But uh, things changed drastically in the second period. This is the Joey Mormina game. Did you know this was the Joey Mormina game? This is what's referred to? <laughs> I didn't know that's what it was referred to, no. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it essentially should be you know, assisting on all three goals in that second period. Uh, second period, and what was that first win? A 3-1 win for Wilkes-Barre Scranton. You get that game for it, just like Coach Hines uh, prophesized, but uh, a huge game for you. What was that game like for you out there? Yeah, I mean, it was probably the first and only time in my career where I had three points, three assists in a game. So, you know, I, I'm not sure what I ate that day or, you know, how much or how little sleep I got, but whatever I did, um, if I would have been able to, capture that um <laughs> secret formula I, I you know i'd be retired somewhere on a on a beach somewhere so um but yeah no obviously you know individually played well that game and you know you know assisting on goals all it means is you you put someone else in a good spot to to, to finish it off so yeah no having three assists especially in one period and then uh you know getting the win i think was kind of like all right like now we now we know you know, like Heinze said, we won game four. Now we know we have game five, right? So now it's really a 3-2 series. Um, and and often and off and running we went. There's one other lineup switch. I mean, we the, obviously everyone focused on the the goaltending, the goaltender switch and Tyson coming in. But a little tweak to the lineup from game three to game four. Uh, Peter Murth. Remember him? Yeah. <laughs> Peter yeah. And it was kind of a, an inside joke amongst, uh, I think, staff a little bit and, and the broadcasters, the, the Murth effect kind of salt of the earth, like just blue collar kind of guy. But whenever you seem to be in the lineup, Penguins more often than not picked up a W. <laughs> and we probably are overstating it, but Bulletsbury Scranton seemed to be doing a much better job moving forward. Um, and a lot of that is Thiessen, but the defense score really stepped up moving forward. How, how much of an effect did Peter Murth, a guy like that, have on what you guys were able to do against the Bruins? Uh, through yeah, I mean, was it, uh, you know, is it was it more the Peter Murth effect or was it the Cody Wild effect getting him out of the lineup? <laughs> um, he's not even here to defend himself. No, he's not. He's not. But uh, yeah, you know, I think I think our decor at that point was kind of a, a mishmash of, of 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 guys. I think uh, Dylan Reese, who was our number one D, I think got hurt early in the series. Yeah. Um, and so we were kind of just kind of piecing things together. But you know, for 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 Murphy, he was. I mean, like you said, he was just a a great guy in the locker room, always had a smile on his face. I think he was super excited at the opportunity, like a big kind of physical stay at home, steady defenseman. Um, you know, I think he was a great fit because he was just so big and so physically imposing that he, um, he kind of gave us that, that steady uh, right shot, right-handed defenseman, um, you know, just took up a lot of room on the ice and, you know, seeing his, his smile with half his teeth missing, <laughs> uh, you know, hard not to, hard not to be excited. All right. So now three, one in the series and a chance to, again, push this game, uh, press, push the series back to Providence. Um, and just like John Hines said, 
Uh, you win game four, you're going to win game five. They want to get back to their problems to try and win game six. And this was, I mean, shot wise was pretty even, but uh, three power play goals, um, the last of which came after. Uh, well, we'll get into that in just a second, but uh, let's talk about it because it was kind of seemingly domination from the, the get-go in that first 20 minutes, two power play goals, Dumoulin, Brian Dumoulin and Trevor Smith. Uh, and you had to be feeling like, Coach Hines is, can tell the future with the way that the game started off. Yeah, no, exactly. Right. Like we came out absolutely, you know, a ton of confidence and, and buzzing. And, um, you know, we knew because of how we had done the, the, the prior game that this was going to be kind of the one where, you know, our last game at home, there was no way we we're going to lose it. Now we have some confidence. You know, they they know they have to go back to Providence. We want to be going back to Providence. Um, and we just kind of, you know, just really kind of suffocated them. And I, I'm not sure we, you know, the shots obviously probably tell a different story, but, um, you know, that game was was pretty much in control. Uh, at least it felt like it was for, for the whole game. It was until it got out of control in the third period. Um, and, you know, if you're a Wilkes-Barre Scranton Penguins fan, you know this as the, the called the Graham Mink game when Graham Mink decided that he was going to, He's had enough of Brad Thiessen going to hop on the goaltender and start throwing punches and seeing if he could take him out of the series that way. From the, I, I don't, I can't remember whether you're on the bench, whether you're on the ice for all this, but from your vantage point, take me through everything in that sequence and that, that entire span, because it was absolutely nuts. Yeah. You know, I, Graham Mink was a guy who I played against for a long time, a super physical, good hockey player, hard nosed, you know, player. And, um, you know, we saw that as a moment of weakness for them, right? They were they were that frustrated from losing that game or being down um, that they felt like they needed to to go after our goalie. And uh, you know, I think we responded for the guys that were on the ice. I, I, I think it was uh, Alex Grant, who you know, and some some other guys. I don't remember being on the ice, but um, you know, I remember we we stuck up for each other and stuck up uh, for our teammate. And uh, you know, that was a great feeling, right? It's one thing to win a playoff game, but when you know you you have the other team sort of rattled mentally, um, you know, that's uh, that feels like a different moment. That feels like a different turning point, um, you know, in the in the series. And, uh, you know, I think, uh, you know, I think after that, I'm just kind of looking through. I think didn't didn't we go after their goalie at some point later or something? Well, I, I, I think well, I think uh, the score on the power play after that, uh, Paul Thompson, I don't think Sedberg was too, too pleased with that. Um, and so it got a little bit, uh, it got a little bit uh, rambunctious after that goal as well, which ended up. Yeah, being, I'm sure. Ended up, uh, if, I, I, if, if I know Tomer, I'm pretty sure he probably said something to the goalie as he scored and celebrated right in his face. <laughs> it sounds, sounds on brand, but have you, had you seen anything like that ever or since in a game? Yeah, no, I mean, in a playoff game, probably not. Right. Like a lot of times that might happen to regular season, you know, some random game in November, but this was a, a playoff series where there was potential for suspensions and that, that can really change the, uh, the outcome of the series. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, to, to see that sort of level of, uh, of chaos in a playoff game, um, you know, it was, uh, it was pretty cool. Graham Inc. was indeed suspended for the rest of that series. How quickly did you guys know on the ice or on the bench that Brad was okay? Because I mean, he took, he took, he took a couple shots there for sure. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I don't think we knew right away, but, you know, Brad was always a, a tough guy, a tough kid. And, you know, uh, you know, we knew it was going to take something crazy to keep him out of the lineup, especially, 
you know, the, the, the level of play he was playing at and the, the sort of run he was, he was on and continuing. We knew it was going to take something crazy to keep him out. So let's head back to Providence now. Heading back to Providence where, you know, hey, listen, we're up 3 nothing. If you're, 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 Bruins are up 3 nothing. all right, we dropped two of Oaks Bay Scram, but now a chance to win this at home. And this is this one of the craziest games I ever saw. I mean, Providence, not for lack of trying. We can give them credit. Oaks Bay Scram gets outshot 47-18. to 18, And somehow it's tied 1-1. to one. After three periods, Wilkes-Barre's Grand got outshot 20 to two in the third period. Are you guys just, I mean, you're hanging on for dear life, clearly, but I mean, are you just sitting there and in, in wonder and in awe at the performance that Thiessen's putting on display? Yeah. I mean, I, I remember just, you know, like you said, being amazed that he just wouldn't, there was no way they were going to score. Right. They, they, they got the one, um, but that, but that was going to be it. He was, he was completely focused and, uh, locked in. You know, we, we probably didn't want to play as defensive as we, we were, um, you know, obviously getting five shots in the final two periods is pretty pathetic, but, um, you know, I think we had all the confidence in the world in Brad and we just knew we had to wait for, uh, for our opportunity. And, and we knew this was the game they, they had to get this one, right. They, they, this was a must win for them as much as it was for us because we knew uh, that if we won this one, there was no chance we were not winning game seven, right? Like we knew if we broke them and, and tied it up at three after everything had gone gone on, that we were winning game seven. So as much as it was a must win for us, they knew in you know in their minds as well that um, this this had to end that night and that was their push. Um, and you know, Brad wasn't gonna gonna let him do it. And it was the ch- the complexion of the game changes almost completely from the third period to to overtime and it's almost like rope a dope like, do you think do you think the bruins punched themselves out a little bit through three periods with all those shots because you get the only three shots in, in overtime trevor smith wins it to tie up the series i mean what cha- what changed between the third period and overtime for you guys yeah i mean i guess we were fresh uh, we were- <laughs> uh Were you? you know- you know, Brad might, Brad might have come in the room after regulation and said, hey, you know, a little help, boys. You know, I can't keep doing this, you know. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, it was probably something to that effect where it was like, all right, like, hey, like, we're lucky, kind of lucky to get to this point. Like, hey, we got nothing, still got nothing to lose. Like, let's, you know, let's make something happen. I, we probably didn't expect to score that early. But, um, you know, like I said, it was probably one of those where it was, you know, kind of a, a – a bit looser in the locker room. I was like, "Holy smoke, we haven't played our best." Let's, you know, now's now's not not a chance to really shock them. And you do, and you tie up the series three to three. You know, you don't want to you don't want to catch. That's right. Encounter chickens before the hatch. Those are the cliche. You don't want to get ahead of, uh, you know, get ahead of things here. But at what point does, you know, the potential historical impact of what you might be able to do start to steep into your mind yeah i mean i think you know walking getting off the ice after winning in overtime and, and you know you've gotten to now like a game seven uh where now the series is tied i think in that moment um you're like holy smokes like we have all the momentum you know what i mean we have everything we've we've you know you feel like you've really broken their their spirit um because you you have no business i've been able to get to this point right like how did this group of kind of uh, you know misfit toys 
you know, come back and, and tie tie it up, um, you know, at home and overtime, down a game, up in games. Um, so you, you we kind of you kind of know after that game and you're getting addressed in the locker room. You're like, man, I actually we, we talked about going to Game Seven. You know, did we really believe it or not? Who knows? But now we're here. Um, you know, there's there's no way we're, we're not winning this. Well, you, that proves true for sure. Uh, you know, Providence uh, comes out hard again in the first period, outshooting Wilkes-Barre Scranton eleven to five, but scoreless after one. Another stellar performance by Tyson and and the Penguins when it's all said and done. Chad Kalorik scores that first goal of the game, four forty four in the second. I mean, at that point, you're on the ice, you're out there. At what point could you see that the Bruins were just kind of done? It was it later. It was it later in the in the period. I mean, Wilkes-Barre Scranton scored more than that in that period. But at what point did you look across the ice and be like, these guys, it, it might be over for these guys? Yeah, I think you probably realize that after you score that second goal. Like I think everyone knew the importance of that first goal of that game because that gave you know whoever scored that goal just was going to give them all the confidence. Um, but I think once you once we got the second goal you can kind of see like, oh man, like now what? Like we, we've shown resilience in this series. Now, you know, we kind of, in that moment, it's hard to draw up any resilience on the other end. I'm not to say that they weren't a resilient team or had any character, but you know, when you, when you've been up three, nothing and you've dominated some games and now in game seven at home, you're down two nothing in the second period. You're uh, I can't imagine the sort of hopelessness you feel because the other team, you know, us in this case, we're so confident, having so much fun, probably, and probably chirping a little bit, right? Um, <laughs> hard to, I hope so. Hard to find that sort of inner resiliency in that moment. How bad was the bad blood between the two teams over the course of this series? I mean, obviously, I mean, you had, game one got a hand score wise. There were, you know, there were some gloves dropped. Then you had the you had the you know, Graham Mink Brad Tyson incident. At what point was the temperature? You know, boiling with these guys i mean it was probably boiling way before game seven um you know <laughs> there, there was some guys on our team that played with an edge and guys that would that would love to chirp and I mean, i'm just uh you know thinking of guys like you know chad Kalerik. i mean my god that guy you know chirped more than he scored goals and he scored, he scored, a, lot he scored a lot of goals uh you know guys like chris collins and zach sill and, and thompson and, and myself and uh you know, it's, uh, you know, Warren Peters was just a pain to play against. You know, he was just relentless in his effort and grit. Um, so, yeah, I mean, we were we were not a fun group to play against. Um, you know, uh, Adam Peril, you know, another tough guy. And we probably leaned on them and they, they had some guys, too, on their side. Right. I mean, they, they were they were a veteran team with some tough guys also. So. It probably wasn't. It was probably into game one where, you know, we probably hate each other. By game seven, it was next level. What were those final seconds of game seven like? Yeah, I mean, I think you're up four nothing after two and you're in the locker room and you're probably thinking like, all right, like this, this is, this is over. You know, we, Brad's going to shut the door. And uh, yeah, those final seconds are, you know, pretty exciting. And you're just like, wow, we're, we're making history. How many, you know, at that time, you really don't know how many teams have ever done it. You know, you, I think the Red Sox had just done it to the Yankees, I think, the year prior. Um, you know, obviously, we weren't going to get the national recognition that the Red Sox <laughs> did. Um, but, you know, that was such an impossible thing. And to, to be able to do that at the AHL level, um, you know, we knew it was pretty uh, a pretty historic accomplishment. 
Yeah, I have a I have a distinct memory of coming down from the broadcast booth after the game and walk into the locker room and Chris Collins just burst out the door just history. Yeah. <laughs> like I think the boy I think the boys are excited about the history. They yeah, made. turns out the third team ever at that point in the American Hockey League to ever come back from a three nothing deficit to, to win a best of seven series. So um, a job well done, of course. And you know, as you think back on this, uh, is it? Given ten years of uh, of perspective since then, is it is it still as kind of a amazing uh, now as it was back then? Yeah, I mean, you just kind of now that we kind of went through it almost, you know, you kind of think back to that ten week, you know, t- you know, not ten week, ten day stretch, two weeks of being involved in something like that where it's all you really think about, right? You're 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 excited when you start the series, and then you're you're frustrated and down on yourself after you're down three, nothing. And then the excitement of coming back, I mean, just the different levels of emotion you experience in that 10, you know, two week span, you know, the, the having to rely on your teammates because you can't do it alone, right? It takes a team effort. It takes everyone involved to believe in it. You know, when you, when you do that, when you're able to get everyone to buy in and to accomplish something really special, um, you know, it brings back just great memories of, of the bus rides and the, the time in the hotel and you think those feelings last forever. And I can tell you now being out of the game and just, you know, a regular dad with a regular job, you know, it's hard to draw up some of those incredible emotions and those, those moments in time that you, you get with, with something like that. Yeah. It almost felt like you guys were a, a team of destiny at that point, because, you know, why not, who else has done this? And unfortunately, you know, Syracuse had other things to say in, in the next series, but um, it was it was a special run for sure, and definitely a special team. Um, and it's a crazy to think that it's been t- ten years, more than ten years since that all that all happened. So, um, I mean, I guess congratulations then, and congratulations now for <laughs> for for being a part in uh, the Wilkes-Barre Scranton Penguins uh, spot in history and your and your role in that as well. Yeah, no, for sure. Like you said, we uh, we ended that series; it was incredible. And then we were like, you know, two days later, we're like, man, now we got to go play Syracuse, who I think. I just won the Calder Cup the year before, so it was getting even harder, and uh, you know didn't do as well in that one. And um, but yeah, now looking back on it, it's uh, like you said, it was a third team in history. I think um, American Hockey sure history yeah. happened. Has it happened since? I, I I have no idea. I'd have to I'd have to check the archives. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna say I'm gonna say no. Yeah, I'm probably wrong, but I'm gonna say no. <laughs> if it has, it's probably only happened once, right? We can, I can confidently believe that. <laughs> Indeed. So. so, I mean, but hey, you're forever in the record books and forever in the annals and AHL and definitely books for your scratch and Penguins history. So. There you go. Uh, yeah, that's pretty cool. Joey, I appreciate you taking the time here. Uh, it's great to catch up. Um, continued success and good luck uh, for rest of the year and uh, wherever your path takes you. And hopefully we'll catch up again sometime soon, okay? Yeah, yeah, this was fun, and uh, you know, hello to everyone back in Wilkesbury, and uh, hopefully, uh, be up in that area again soon. Sounds good. All right. Well, for Joey Mormina, I'm Michael Bryan. This has been your Pens from the Past podcast. Stay tuned for new episodes coming up soon. We'll see you later.